I don't know if you watched the Christmas Journey uh, episode. Was, I think it was yesterday's episode uh, was on uh, Caesar, Caesar Augustus. And so we're thinking a little bit about uh, political leaders and, and whatnot. And it was really fun to see the kids interacting with, uh, uh, their, under, with their understanding of, uh, of the roles of uh, our political leaders like Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, and it's uh, just it's just quite fascinating actually to see how kids process um, different aspects of the um, of life, but uh, of the Christmas story, it's been been really interesting. So I, I hope you're uh, taking those in. We are on a three-year journey through the Bible, and uh, we've come to the book of Acts now. Uh, last week, uh, Josh. Uh, um, took us to the, some of the last, uh, the last part of, of uh, Matthew 28 and, and then into Acts chapter 1, speaking in, about the concept of, uh, of us in, in engaging on, on mission. And uh, he, uh, he, he uh, told us, talked a little bit about how we're uh, called to go, but we wait before we go, and uh, the, the uh, going is proceeding uh, by the waiting. And some of us might want to <clears throat> point out that uh, the Holy Spirit has come, and there's no longer a need to wait for him to come. Uh, and that's true in one sense, but there's also this need for us to dig deeper into this idea of what it means to wait on, on God. And I was really encouraged when he took us at the end of his uh, time last week to Isaiah 41, which is all about waiting on the Lord and, uh, um, and what that means to wait, to wait on him. Um, it's, um, it really, really leads into today's topic because what it says there in Isaiah 41 is, is those who wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength, yeah. Renew their strength. So, um, I don't know. Any anyone here uh, today feel like uh, you need your strength renewed? Anyone anyone today feel tired? <laughs> I've never seen so many tired people as I have in recent uh, weeks and months. It seems like everybody I've talked to says they're tired. Young people. Not mentioning any names, Isaac, but young people <laughs> tell me they're tired and. Uh, and there's something about these days that are kind of wearying, but there's something about life that can be wearying. And uh, so uh, we, the scripture says that when we wait on the Lord, he will renew our strengths. That is to say, we are empowered by him. And that's, uh, that's really, really, really important. We've been studying through the Bible all the way from Genesis right up through to where we are now. If there's a, any message that, that has come through loud and clear, I, I think it, it would be the message that we need him. We need God. We need him in our lives, and we need him to do a work in our lives. We need what he has uh, to give us. In fact, uh, you know, theologians uh, use, uh, have terms they use to describe our situation, and one of the words that they use is the word depravity. Uh, the Bible, for its part, uh, tends to, uh, to uh, latch hold of, uh, of metaphors to describe our situation. And, and so, for example, in the book of Revelation, uh, we, we see uh, the words wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, utterly in need. In need of God, in need of his grace, in need of his strength, in need of his encouragement, in need of his power, in need of his presence, in need of his forgiveness, in need of all of the things that only he can give us. And so when we look at our situation, you know, that we're in and we ask the question, what is it, what, we're going, what are we going to do about it? Um, the biblical answer to the question is that you and I are not able to do what needs to be done about it, um, that we need the Lord. And you need the Lord, I need the Lord, and so does every person on this planet. And we need God. Even Jesus, who's the only perfect man who ever lived, uh, depended unreservedly on his Father in heaven. So today, our subject is the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, as, as Josh mentioned. And we are in, in uh, Acts chapter 2. I wonder, you know, what, what does it look like to have... Uh, the transforming power of God in our lives. Now, that, that's a really, really, really big question, isn't it? 
Um, in a sense, the whole Bible speaks to that, that issue. Um, but I would like to point out to you that I think we can say that it is pictured uh, for us in Jesus' discipleship ministry with his disciples when he was physically present with them in their lives. Um, and I, I, I think I'd like for us to think a little bit more about that, that idea. You know, what does it mean? What did it mean for, for those, those disciples to have Jesus with them? At any point in time, they, if they had a question, they had to ask him, and they would listen to him, and he, would, he was there for them. He was there for them. And they uh, were horrified when he said, I'm going to leave you. But he said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be saddened. I will send you another. And that's what we're talking about today, is the one Jesus referred to as the other helper, the other counselor, the other advocate, uh, the other comforter. Um, Acts 2 is our primary passage this week, but I want to begin, I know you've all opened your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 2, but I want to begin in, in John chapter 14. And the reason for that is that we haven't really covered the, the passages in the gospel accounts as we've traveled through the gospel accounts. And I, I've loved it, being in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and looking at all of those passages where Jesus, you know, interacted with his disciples and, and all that he uh, did and all that he said. But we haven't really covered the uh, passages where Jesus spoke and taught his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, it might be a little dangerous to go into the book of Acts, which is all about the coming of the Holy Spirit into uh, the church for, for mission and not really give some attention to those passages where Jesus taught about what that would be like for them. Uh, so we're not going to do that in an in-depth manner today, but I, I do want to just uh, take, um, take a moment or two. We're not going to have time to dig into all of Acts chapter 2, but this historical theological context for Acts chapter 2 is critically important for us. And so I want you to turn to uh, John chapter 14 with me, if you will. We'll spend just a little bit of time in, in John, and starting with uh, chapter 14, verses 15, 16, and 17, where it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Isn't that fascinating? Will you pray with me? Lord in heaven, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that you've given us this record, this record of your work in, in the lives of people, um, this, your record of history, your history of salvation, and especially today, um, this record of the life, death, resurrection ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit for us. Please bless your word to our hearts today, we pray. May it, may it impact us with all of the, the power that you intended in giving it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's a, just a few critical things to note when you look at that passage that we just read together, uh, John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17. One thing is the word helper there in the, in the English Standard Version. Uh, you might have something different if you're using a different version. Anybody have a different uh, translation in the reading? Have a different word there? Or are you all reading ESV? Because the NIV, I think, has counselor. One of the other versions has um, advocate. And, uh, of course, the King James Version has... Where's Keith? You hear Keith? You still reading your King James? Comforter, right? Comforter. So, so, so the first thing to note is that this word, which is the Greek word paraclete, is a word that, um, that means uh, a lot. And uh, um, it, it literally means one who comes alongside. 
That's what the, the word literally means, one who comes alongside. But when you look at it in all its uses, what, what, what uh, uh, develops is, uh, in our understanding is the idea that, that this is one who comes alongside to take up the cause of or to aid us. And uh, so that would, uh, that would be important for us to understand. Um, it has the idea of strengthening. It has the idea of encouraging. In fact, and this is, this is a, something that has blessed me over the years, the word paraclete um, becomes the basis for the word paraclesis, and the word paraclesis is the Greek word that you have in your English Bibles almost in every instance from here on in your Bible throughout the New Testament where you read the word encouragement. And sometimes when you read the word comfort, it's that word paraclesis. So we understand from this that this, this, um, this one who would come, Jesus said, will be all of these things. He will be a helper. He will be a defender. He will be a counselor. He will be a teacher. He will be uh, a, a, a strengthening and encouragement to, to us. So there's a very rich and full meaning to all of this. Another thing to, to note here is, is that the word that Jesus uses when he says, I will send you another, in the Greek, I understand that Jesus made a word choice there. He chose a word that means another the same as. And he had options. He didn't have to choose that word, but Jesus chose that word. Another word in, in other words, Jesus said, another one just like me. Was, was his point. And when you read it in context, that makes a complete sense. And it's also very, very important because we understand as we study scripture that the Holy Spirit is not just something. He is someone. This is personal. This is all intensely personal. We are speaking about the person of the Holy Spirit. The truth of this is borne out in the fact that in every reference to the Holy Spirit, we have in Scripture, the, the personal pronoun is always employed. It is never correct for us to refer to the Holy Spirit as it because the Holy Scriptures never do that. They consistently do not do that. Why? Because we are talking about a person. And this is one of the instances as we read through these passages in John um, that we uh, come to the sure realization that, that um, what we, we conceive of is God's uh, triune nature, that God is three persons ex as existing as one God, um, is born out. We don't understand all of the, the mystery and the wonder of that, but it's the only explanation to these, these words uh, here from Jesus. Look at chapter 14, John 14, verses 18 and 19. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So here he is in the same breath saying, I will send you another one like me, saying, I will come to you. Verse 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. How full is the meaning of what the person of the Holy Spirit brings into our lives? Well, it is life itself. What does he bring? What does he give? He gives us life. Uh, John chapter 6, Jesus said this. He said, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The spirit of God brings, uh, brings life. Verse uh, 23 of John 14 says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. See, now he's talking about, he includes the father in this. And so it's father, son, and spirit, three in one, three persons of the triune Godhead. That's why we believe in the Trinity. And that's why Trinitarian theology is so important because there is an equality there. And it's, it has to do with the momentous uh, momentous um, uh, promise involved in, in these, these passages. Um, 
What does it mean to have God in your life? What does it look like to have God in your life? Over in chapter 16 of John, verses 12 through 15, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Think about that for a moment. Jesus has been teaching them for for three plus years, and and now he says this to him. He says, there's a whole lot more I want to tell you, but I can't tell you. Because you can't, you, you, just, you just can't, you can't uh, bear it. You can't, you can't hear it. You can't receive it now. But when, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Notice the personal pronoun, he, not it, he. He will guide you into all truth for he will speak, not of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has in mind, therefore I said, that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So there's these words, uh, I will come to him, uh, him. We will come to him or to you. Um, now, when you go into the book of Acts, some of you know Acts chapter 1, verse 1 uh, and 2, the very, very first two verses in the book of Acts, the, uh, the author, Luke, says, introduces his book there as part two of the Luke Acts. He says, in my former treatise, O Theophilus, I wrote up to you about all that Jesus began to do until he was taken up. So that's a very important statement because that tells us that the book of Acts is a record of the continuation of the ministry of Jesus. So where is Jesus in the book of Acts? He's there in the persons, uh, person, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. That's important. John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27 says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So here in this statement, we're still in John, we're in John chapter 16 here, but this is an important connection between the coming of the Holy Spirit and our mission, uh, our witness, our sentness as His church indwelt by his spirit and empowered by him. So then, last week, Josh shared with us uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So these are important Uh, understandings coming out of Jesus' teaching with his disciples prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, which he promised. Now, you can draw a direct line, and you need to draw a direct line between that verse I just read, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'll read it again. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You can draw a direct line between that statement in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Acts chapter 2, verse 5. And we haven't read Acts chapter 2, verse 5 yet, but we're going to read it right now. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the disciples, were all gathered together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. By the way, wind and spirit are the same word in both Hebrew and Greek. Um, From heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
And verse 5 says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. The scope of the mission of the church is the world. And the reference to the speaking in tongues uh, needs to be understood in light of this because the, the, the word tongue is used in scripture as a metonym. A metonym is something that gets associated with something else to the point where when you use the term, it means the other thing. So for example, the house and lineage of David, the house means family. And here, tongue means language. So when the Bible talks about different tongues, that's what it means, it's different languages. So, so, and what's the significance of the different languages? Different people groups speak different languages. The scope of the mission that is ours, that God wants to empower us for, is global. Jesus said over and over and over and over again that the field is the world. He used the word world over and over, which is really interesting because Jesus never traveled outside of an area, a landmass smaller than the province of Nova Scotia. But he talked all the time about the ends of the earth, the peoples, the nations, the people groups, the ethnos of the, of the world. So don't misread this and make it about something other than what it's really about. It's about being made alive in Jesus Christ and sent on mission into a world, a world that likes to pretend that they don't need him and is just fine without him, thank you very much, but are really dead and dying and don't even realize it. We're not going to read all of Acts chapter 2 today. Uh, it's my hope that you've already read it because that's why we send out the scriptures in advance so that you will read so that we won't have to try to cover every, every aspect here. Um, but uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 6 through 13 tells us about some of those different people groups. If you read through there, you'll see this. It names all these different people groups. And they were all amazed, it says, when they heard the disciples talking about uh, what God was doing in their own language. That was the miracle of Pentecost. That was the miracle of tongues or of, of, of uh, uh, the supernatural gift of languages. And then in verse 14, uh, Peter gets everyone's attention. And from there down to verse 36 of Acts chapter 2, we have an example of the kind of uh, gospel preaching that the apostles did in the days of the early church. In fact, this is the very first sermon we have from, from Peter, from Peter, who was the leader of the apostolic band, right? You know, stick your foot in your mouth, Peter, right? Um, but he preached in power and boldness there. He says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he preached Jesus to them. Uh, he preached as a witness of the life, death, resur and resurrection of Jesus. And he preached that all of this, including the coming of the Spirit that day, was the fulfillment of the promise of God. It was kind of a, that is this kind of message. He, and he reached back into the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament and said, what you have read in your scriptures is what you see here today. What God has promised is what you see here today. And uh, that idea of promise is a really important subject, a really important concept or idea. And Jesus himself used the promise language when he talked about this, the Holy Spirit as well. Uh, if you glance back at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, while staying uh, with them, this is before he ascended, uh, Acts 1, 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit uh, not many days from now. By the way, another note here, the words baptized, received, gift, poured out, all those words are used interchangeably in the first several chapters of the book of Acts, which means they're all talking about the same thing. So you, if you have uh, turned from your sin and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have received 
uh, not only uh, the forgiveness of your sins, but you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, which means you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, which means you have had the Holy Spirit poured out on you. All of those things are used, phrases used interchangeably to describe the same thing. And descriptions of Acts 2, going into Acts 2, coming out of the Old Testament and coming through the gospel accounts and proceeding from there, those uh, descriptions are um, descriptions of a promise fulfilled. And not just a promise, but a landmark promise, a landmark type promise. But we're talking big, big promise. God is big on promise. It's the kind of promise that had the Israelites, uh, you know, heading out of Egypt and heading for the promised land. It was that, it's that kind of a promise. It's, it's a big, 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 big deal. Now, why is promise such a big deal in Scripture? Why is the idea of promise such a big thing? Let, let me suggest, you think, you think about it, but let me suggest this to you. One of the things that it means that, 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 that the, the, the promise language, the, la, pro, the language of promise is such a big deal in Scripture is because that takes it out of the realm of our ability and puts it in the realm of God's ability. It means that it's not about uh, us and what we can do or what we think we can do. Rather, it's about what God says he will do in us and through us. And these promises go back a long ways. In uh, Galatians chapter 3, the apostle Paul says this, he says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That's why we need to to study through scripture and, and allow all of those uh, wonderful treasures of truth in the Old Testament to culminate in the coming of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the pouring of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into the lives of his people. So Peter preaches this, this message, and it's all about Christ. And and I encourage you to read it through. And he reaches back into the Old Testament scripture and the promises. And he says, um, in verse 36, he concludes, Acts 2.36, he concludes his message. And he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So his whole message is all, <laughs> excuse me, about Christ. And Christ crucified, and Christ risen, and, and Christ as Lord. Jesus is Lord. They say that's the oldest creed of the Christian church. Jesus is Lord. When, you, when God reveals that to you by his spirit, and you embrace that, and you surrender to the lordship of Christ, that's a landmark decision, isn't it? And it says there that, that when they heard Peter preach that message, it says they were cut to the heart. That's the kind of conviction that Jesus had promised. If you look back in John chapter 16, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would convict people just like that. And so when Peter preached it faithfully and boldly filled with the Holy Spirit, and he preached Jesus Christ to them, the Holy Spirit uh, took, took that and he used that message, that gospel message. He convicted them and they, it says they were cut to the heart. And they cried out, what, what should we do? All these people, thousands of people gathered to hear Peter preach that day. And, and, and they were cut to the heart and they, and, and they were convicted, about their, 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 convicted of their sin and the reality of who Jesus was. And they say, what should we do? And in verse uh, 38 through 41, Peter says to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is, see, there's that word again. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. 
So what we have here is a, con- is a, is a condensed message, you know. Maybe, you know, we can read through Peter's sermon about, in about probably like 45 seconds. I'm pretty sure the sermon was longer than that. We get the condensed version that God wants us to have. And it says, with many other words, and it says that he exhorted them, say, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. That's a lot of people. 3,000 people, right? Um, now, it's... The promise that Peter makes uh, to them here as he, and outlines to them here is uh, that they would receive uh, the forgiveness of their sins, that's verse 38, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You could think of that in terms of the negative and a positive or what God takes and what he gives. He takes away our sin and what does he give us? Think about that. What was all is involved when Peter says the refers to the gift of the Spirit? Now that, he's not talking about their about a specific gift of the Spirit. He's talking about the having the Holy Spirit in your life, the gift of the Spirit. So God takes our sin. What does He give us? He gives us Himself. He gives us himself. Um, this is not some kind of promise of, of raw power. You know, the, the, how much is there to this? It's, it's everything. It's everything that God is and, and God does and God brings with him when he comes in t- to live with us and in us. Remember, that's what Jesus said. He said... He is with you and will be in you. They had Jesus with them. And now we have Jesus with us and in us. He lives in us. He dwells in us. And he brings with, uh, with himself all that is. Uh, I uh, read Ephesians chapter 1 this week. Um, actually, one want to pointed a couple of verses from Ephesians chapter 1 uh, before we conclude today, but, but if you read Ephesians chapter 1, you get a sense for just how big this is. I would encourage you to uh, get up tomorrow morning and read Ephesians chapter 1, and maybe the day after that and the day after that, and read it, and just take a look there and see what all it means to have God in your life, what all it means to have the promise of his presence And his power uh, in in our lives. Um, what can what can I promise you today on the basis of all of this? Talking about promises, what what can I promise you today on the basis of all of this? Well, it's it's really the same thing. If you will turn from your, your sin and your, your waywardness, your wayward way, and turn and put your faith in Jesus Christ and receive the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he will take away your sin. He will forgive you all of your sin. And that's the first part. But then the second part is the, is the other part of that, is not only does he take away all of our sin and all of our guilt and all of our shame, but he will give you himself. He gives himself to us. So if we will get, um, give it over to him, give Give what? Give our sin, our inadequacy, our fear, our frustration, our guilt, our shame, our poverty, our nakedness, our sick and withered souls. What will he do? He will renew us. He will enliven us. He will give us life. He will breathe 
life into our existence. He will refresh. He will give strength and courage. He will enable us to live for him. And whether it's been three minutes, three years, or three decades or more, it's the same thing. That's what God wants to do in our lives. That's what the presence of God means for us in our lives. And then he will send you. And that's the other part of this. In fact, it's a a really big part of this. In the context of Acts, and Acts chapter 1, and Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Acts chapter 2, verse 5, he will send you. And that's part of why we need to be empowered, because we're on mission, because it's not just about us being loved by God and ministered to by God. But through us, as we engage and as we, as we recognize the fact that we're sent, God enlivens us and empowers us to live as his followers, which also means being sent into a world. And that can be tired. We were talking about that this week with some, some, of, our, some of the guys who were together. Um, it was actually at our uh, elders and deacons meetings th- this week. We were talking about how hard it is to be on mission in this world because this world is, is uh, you know, Jesus said you'd be in the world but not of the world. Why are we in, to be in the world? To be on mission. It's the only reason, really, to be on mission. But, but the, this world can be, sometimes can be, uh, I use the term uh, cesspool. It's like, a, it's, it's hard. It's hard to be on mission uh, in, in this world. It's hard to speak for God. It's, it's hard to speak for truth. It's hard not to, to uh, get discouraged in this world. And that's just all the more reason why we need God, the Holy Spirit of God, to work in us and through us and strengthen and empower us Because if he doesn't do it in and through us, I can tell you it's not going to happen. I started uh, today by reading some from John where the apostles uh, uh, received from Jesus uh, information about the Holy Spirit prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, You know, you can note after, we don't have a lot of time for this, but Some of the things that the apostles wrote after the coming of the Holy Spirit, when they wrote the letters to the churches, Paul says that the power that works in you as a believer because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's pretty descriptive, isn't it? That's got to be significant. Romans 8, 11, uh, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I mentioned Ephesians chapter 1 earlier. Listen, Ephesians 1, or take a look. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. When we think about what, what does it mean to have God in your life? What does it mean to have the Spirit of God living inside of you? What's that, what does that look like? Well, Paul says, you know, expand your mind here, people. Understand every spiritual blessing. What does that leave out? And verse 13 and 14, Ephesians chapter 1, in him also you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There is a progressive aspect to this which is mind-boggling and mind-blowing, but I want to move on really quickly because it's, I'm running out of time this morning, and I want to talk with you a little bit about Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish feast day. All of these things that we've been reading about in Acts chapter 2 happened on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost was one of the major feasts or holy days instituted by God for his people Israel, and it was a memorial of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. But you will remember, hopefully, that at one point God says, there is coming a day when I will write my law on your hearts. Now, we haven't given a whole lot of attention to these feast days as we've traveled through the Old Testament, Um, uh, just because mostly for 
because of the pace we were trying to move in to get through. But the feast days and the calendar feast days of Israel are important. They are significant. Um, We have talked some about the Passover. And that's really, uh, really uh, big as we uh, come to the death of Jesus because he died as the Passover lamb, right? The lamb without spot or blemish. But did you know that Jesus rose on the day that is called the Feast of First Fruits? Later on, the apostles will refer to Jesus' resurrection as the First Fruits. And then Pentecost was seven weeks uh, later. And that's why sometimes Pentecost is called the Feast of Weeks. The word Pentecost means 50th. Uh, as in the 50th day. So the date each year was established uh, by counting from the first Sabbath after Passover. First fruits was the first day after the Sabbath, and Pentecost was the 50th day. So there were 49 days between first fruits and Pentecost. So if you go back in Israel's history, you have this celebration of uh, first fruits. But then you have this celebration that's called the, the, the uh, Pentecost, or sometimes it was referred to as the Feast of Weeks. But it was also called the Feast of Harvest. The difference between the first fruits and the harvest day, that's, I should probably be going from this side to this side because you're probably left or right-minded, but you, that's not hard to, to, to imagine, is it? There's the first fruits, and then there's the harvest. Now, what does this have to do with uh, what we're seeing in Acts chapter 2? I think you already, uh, already know. The Feast of Harvest, or Pentecost, uh, coincided with the summer wheat harvest in the land of Israel. Um, and it was observed by the people, part of which they would uh, present offerings of the newly harvested grain, as offerings of thanksgiving to the Lord, who was the Lord of the harvest. Now, again, we don't have time to do it, but it's interesting as you go through the, um, the Old Testament feast calendar, but also as it relates to Pentecost, you go through the gospel accounts and see the references there to the harvest and the comments Jesus made about the harvest and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want some passages on that, send me an email. I'll send some of those passages to you. Um, But what what I'm saying to you then is that the the symbolism here and the metaphors here are uh, the fulfillment of Old Testament shadows, that Jesus' death on the cross fulfilled the Old Testament shadow of um, the Passover. The coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, is a fulfillment of the Old Testament shadows of the harvest. But when I say that, keep in mind that the harvest that Jesus talked about, when he said to the disciples in John chapter 4, when the Samaritans were making their way out of the village of uh, Sakaar, the fields are white unto harvest, he's not talking about wheat, is he? And when he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, pray that the Lord, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth workers into his harvest fields. He wasn't talking about wheat, was he? He was talking about precious lives, people. 3,000 souls that day, it says. 3,000 souls, 3,000 people added that day. I'm going to try to um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Joel's prophecy and Joel's words. I think you can read them in Acts chapter two verse sixteen to eighteen. Um, I think we we do need to touch on that because it relates directly to this idea of harvest. Uh, Peter, when he reaches back into the Old Testament promises, he says, "This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This is Acts chapter two verses sixteen to eighteen. 
And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. This is fundamentally about enabling and equipping people, his people, for mission. Throughout the Old Testament, dispensation, the Spirit of God would come upon people, some people, for some uh, period of time and to some degree. But now, in the age of the Spirit, it says the Spirit is poured out, that is without measure, poured out without measure upon all flesh, it says there, without discrimination uh, and without end. Jesus said, I'm with you to the end of the age. This is an irrevocable act of God. So today, every believer is a prophet, a priest, and a king because Jesus is the savior of the world and it's going to take everybody involved and fully engaged to get done what needs to be done as God empowers us by his spirit to do it. This isn't about any one group of people anymore. There is no one outside of his love. There is no one who doesn't need him. There's no one who doesn't need him. There's no one that he will turn away. There's no one who is beyond the reach of the gospel that we have to take to the world. Not only is the gospel for everyone, but everyone who responds in faith receives not only the forgiveness of our sins, but also the gift of the Holy Spirit of God and by his grace, every single one who does is a full participating member on mission in the world as a body of Christ. His hands and his feet indwelt by his spirit, empowered to take his good news, his wonderful good news, to a lost and dying world. Now, if you read the last six verses in Acts chapter 2, you will see there that the New Testament church, the early church, existed by community, truth, and engagement. But I want to read, in closing, a couple of verses from John. I want to go back to those, some of those verses in John and just kind of refresh our minds in what Jesus had said earlier to the disciples. What time is it? Yeah, it's just about that time. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. Uh, that's a puzzling verse, isn't it? Do you think they were puzzled by that? I think, I think they're thinking, what are you talking about, Lord? But look what he says. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Earlier on, I suggested to you that if we can get a picture of what it looks like to have God at work in your life by looking at Jesus' presence and ministry in the life of the disciples. And I think that's true. I think that Having the Spirit with us and in us, the Holy Spirit of God, is having Jesus not only with us, but, but in us. And as we look at, at what that was like, you know, as we, as we look at the, the teaching and, and the encouraging and the comforting and the emboldening and the blessing and, and all of it, all of that which God brings with him when he is with us. And not only that, but in us. That's what it means for us. It's life-changing. It's transforming. And then the last, all the way back to John 14, 15, and 17 again. Just, just look at these. That, that's where, this is the first scripture we read today together. John 14, verses 15 to 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. What's it look like for you to have God in your life. I mentioned Ephesians chapter 1 earlier. Read Ephesians chapter 1. Don't wait till tomorrow morning. Sit down this afternoon and read Ephesians chapter 1. Read it slowly. 
Take a look, look for the words promise and inheritance and, and, uh, and power. <laughs> look for all those words through there in glory. Read through there real careful because that's what Ephesians chapter 1 is really all about. What it means for us to have God in our lives. What's it mean to, what's it look like for you to have God in your life? All right. So, that's the end of my notes. That's the end of our time. But we have to, we have to pray together because I feel compelled today to, to lead you in prayer as we ask God to make uh, this, to drive these things home to our hearts in such a way that we would be able to move forward from this spot today with the kind of, of appropriation that God wants for us from these precious truths. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word again. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you have not left us as orphans, but that you have come. And you've come to be with us, and you've come to be in us. And I, Lord, we confess today that we get tired. We get, we get exhausted. Help us, Lord, to look to you and to look to and wait upon you that our strengths would be renewed according to your mighty power. Because Lord, we, um, we are totally insufficient. We cannot give life to ourselves, Lord. We're asking, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit, enliven us, Lord, embolden us, empower us to to live for you and to be on mission for you in this world that needs you so much. Lord, set your church on fire and send us out, we pray, that we would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened, but Lord, that we would be useful to you in the lives of other people who desperately need you anywhere and everywhere, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.